0: silver and gold mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt free, well funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX exchange trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A V I N O.com.
1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: second hour Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the second hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Manganese, Vino Silver and Gold Mines, Prophecy Platinum, and Millrock Resources and we will be talking to Gregory Beicher later this hour. Uh he is the president and CEO of Millrock Resources which is a project generator company. We've talked to you in the past about why we like project generators. Essentially, they use other people's money to put the high risk capital in the ground and they uh and they thereby uh, reduce shareholder dilution which is really I think one of the biggest risks that investors face uh in the uh, in the junior share market and certainly one uh in this kind of environment where the share prices are weak and uh and, and if I'm right uh Ian uh McAvity and others on this show are right that we're heading into lower equity prices and the gold shares could get taken down as well and it could be very difficult um, for these junior mining companies to raise capital. So you want to keep your eyes on the on the cash resources these companies have, which is another reason we like to buy some of the new producers that are doing very, very well. Throwing out lots of cash flow. Mining profits are doing very, very good now. Well, we're going to talk about that and a lot more with my next guest. Uh, uh, it's Hein Gunenwegen. Uh, he is a Dutch national with a law degree from Leiden University in the Netherlands. Uh, Heinz has been with us before. Uh, he currently lives most of the time, I believe, in New York, though he spends some of his time in London as well. He manages a hedge fund. Uh, and, uh, well, he's, he's a very, very knowledgeable uh, smart investor that I've learned to know, uh, at a luncheon, uh, here in New York City. He and I have views that are very, very, uh, close, I believe. So, uh, w- well, we like to have people on this show that have different views as well, but, uh, it's really good to have, uh, Heinz with me once again. Welcome, Heinz. Thank you. Um, So, you, you, uh, I think you might have heard some of our discussion with Ian McAvity. What is your view now on the equity markets? I I think you're still taking a pretty dim view. You're you're certainly not buying uh, a new secular bull market, are you?
3: No, absolutely not. Um, You know, I agree with a lot that Ian said. Um, You know, if you look, for example, I mean, if I can go back to Greece or Europe, you know, what you see that the overall um, situation is, is that there is no growth. And the, and the growth is restrained by the overwhelming debt that we have everywhere. Um, another factor that plays, of course, are the rigid labor laws yeah? and the entitlement, entitlement uh, society we live sure. in. And I think it's all not fine, uh, you know, it can't be financed. Uh, the uh, the figures are just too big. If you look from a mathematical point of view, and let's take, for example, in Italy as an example where you have 1.9 trillion or 1900 billion euros as debt and it has increased in the, in the last couple of months. But how many, uh, how, how much does your surplus, your, your budget surplus has to be every year? Let's say it would be Twenty or thirty billion, yeah. Uh, for how many years do you need that in order to pay off your debt? And then we haven't even talked about the interest rates, yes. because interest rates at the moment are artificially low as a result of the stimulus, yeah. And in my point of view, not uh, you know a real benchmark of risk and uh, and, and and reward, uh, you know, or valuation. For What it used to be in the past, and that 's why you also see that a huge transformation has taken place from paper or intangible assets to tangible assets mm-hmm. and that 's also in my point of view why uh, you know the commodities have, have done so well because mm-hmm. people just don 't trust you know the the, the, uh, the manipulation of the uh, of the paper system
2: sure well that's that 's certainly what Ian was saying uh, a, a moment ago too he he believed that the china for example was probably stockpiling uh, oil and other commodities. It certainly has been, I think, not a secret. So uh you, you mentioned, though, I think you were talking about the entitlement mentality of, of um, and, and actually more than a mentality, a reality in Europe. Mm-hmm. But as Ian points out, uh, that we are seeing now almost half of Americans, 49.5% of Americans vote for a living, and the rest of us work for a living. I mean, America is very close to a tipping point, I would think, too, where – Things could go the direction of Greece. Do you agree? What you,
3: what you see, my point of view, is that you see all these um, trends taking place all over the world now. Yeah. yeah? I mean, um, in 2008, for example, uh, you know, it was the emerging markets that kind of pulled us out of the, uh, you know, the 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 downdraft that that we experienced. Well, that's also over because all these countries like China. Uh, Brazil, uh, India are basically downward revi- um, uh, revising their, their GDP growth rates. And next to that, they have a big problem with inflation at the moment. Yeah. Um, but coming back to your point, uh, about the entitlement system, um, you know, what we had in Europe is what we also now are, uh, witnessing here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, what, what, you see is that everything is converging. Uh, the system, is, is being sort of uh, stretched to the fore. Um, all the tools in the, in the toolbox are being exhausted. And then you get a situation which are compared to what we saw in Tunisia for the Arab Spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, you will only get um, you know, a, a, a crash in, in the markets or a substantial fall in the markets when all the conditions are in place, otherwise you won't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's what we saw in, uh, in Tunisia, where this guy basically put himself, uh, you know, alight. And it, it, it caused the ripple effect, you know, in Libya, Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, uh, and now Syria, and uh, also in Bahrain. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that more countries are going to follow. But my point is more that, um, you know, everything needs to be in place. And I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, we were talking already about, the, uh, the interest rates, which are artificially low, and you just see one sort of kind of optimistic view on the economy uh, last week, and you see what interest rates did—they went from uh, for the ten-year from two percent to two point three nine percent today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, um, like I said, I think we have too much debt in the system. The politicians can't do anything else but. You know, kicking the can, uh, you know, down the down the road. They don't have any other option, basically. Mm-hmm. So what you will see is you need to get a breakdown of the system, you know, which will give shock and awe before the fibre of the system that we are living in can be changed.
4: Mm-hmm. Because
3: otherwise, there's not enough, um, you know, uh, impetus. There's not enough uh, strength in order to do it. Because. We live at the moment in a way we are at the end of a cycle, and the
2: cycle is extremely complacent, in my point of view. Yeah, when you talk about cycles, Hein, uh, I mean, are you talking about something long-term cycle? What sort of cycle mm-hmm. are you talking about?
3: Yeah, indeed, long-term. You know, if you look, for example, um, you know, the sixties and the seventies in yes. Europe and in the U.S., you know, that was the period that whole neighborhoods were built. Uh, you know, the infrastructure was set up, and you know, everything was growing. Yeah, and everybody was. Working to build a future. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, that is what we saw in a, over a very short uh, period, basically in the in the emerging countries. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we are also nearing now the end of that cycle in a way. Look at China, where you know there is a lot of vacancy in the real estate, which and and financed uh, you know through special uh, uh, purpose vehicles, as a result of which you know the total debt of the, um, um uh, you know, of, of, in China is much larger than a lot of people believe, because everybody wants to just look at the, the forex reserves, but nobody looks at the liability side in China. Mm-hmm. And don't forget that China was kind of the engine with, uh, you know, growth rates of uh, 10, 11, 12 percent. Mm-hmm. And now we have a revised downgrade to seven and a half, eight percent. You know, and, and that's going to be substantial. A lot of companies are going to feel that pressure.
2: Yeah, and there is some, uh, you know, some concern that things may be, uh, you know, that we may be seeing some of the turmoil play out politically in China too with the recent sacking of Bo, a big name, uh, rising star in the Communist Party there. But in any event, without getting into politics, how much longer can, do you think we can kick the can down the road? Because, you know, as I was looking at, I was talking to Ian about this too, when I look at the debt to GDP ratio in the United States, total debt, we're talking not just U.S. government debt, but total debt, <clears throat> Excuse me. We were looking at, uh, for the longest time, and I, and I know um, at the Scarsdale Capital Luncheon that you and I attend from time to time, there was a, a mainstream economist there that was talking about how the United States has had a, GD, a debt-to-GDP ratio ranging between about 125 and 175%. Well, it's mm-hmm. now around, in March of this year, 386%. And we noticed that it was somewhat higher than that. It's come down a bit since Lehman Brothers but, you know, Hein, remember the, the tremendous pain that we felt with Lehman Brothers, and yet we've almost not made any meaningful decline in that ratio of debt to GDP. Is there an awful lot more pain to come, do you think, yet before before this, this thing is resolved? And how much longer can this can be kicked down the road? I, I mean, it seems like... Um, the the amount of GDP growth we get with this additional debt that's being put out there is very minuscule now. Would you agree? And, and and what is your take? How long can this thing go on before we have some kind of a major break?
3: Well, basically, that's a difficult
2: question, you know, because I don't think it's so much a timing issue
3: as well as an event issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, the, uh, it's the events which will determine what's going to happen. You know, if you get... You know, the interest rates uh, breaking out of the range, uh, the downward range they have been in since 1981, you have your event. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a failed, uh, you know, treasury auction or whatever, you will have the event, Mm -hmm. yeah? So uh, you you have to look at the events. They will determine, you know, if the system can bear it or not, Mm -hmm. yeah? Um, About uh, GDP, debt-to-GDP ratio, um, I think uh, debt-to-GDP ratio is uh, a very bad sort of uh, um, ratio to use in order to determine the strength of an uh, an, an economy. I think Mm -hmm. you should have debt-to-revenue ratio. Uh You should look at what the revenues are that a country gets in, because it also tells you basically how much they will have to borrow. Uh Next to that... There's another factor, and you can't only look at the debt to um, you know uh, GDP ratio. You have to look also at the not only the public debt. You also have to look at the private debt mm-hmm. because the private debt tell you, tells you also something about how much cushion or how much flexibility a society has.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: for example, Italy has, I think, a net wealth of something like 8.5 trillion euros mm-hmm. and, a, and a debt of 1.9 trillion. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the Italians could basically pay off their own debt. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and the problem is often that uh, people compare you know, apples with pears. Yeah? If you look at Spain, for example, which is supposedly having a very low uh, public debt of around 70%, I think it is, uh, debt-to-GDP ratio. But then often they forget to take into account the debt of the uh, the regional governments who have a lot of authority,
2: mm-hmm. and if
3: you take into account the private debt, then suddenly mm-hmm. your your ratio goes from 70 percent to 230 percent or more of mm-hmm. uh, you know of, of GDP. Mm-hmm. So um, often people compare apples with pears, but um, you know it, it's clear to me that we have passed the tipping point, and that uh, you know the the overwhelming debt. You know, which are still being uh, held sustainable by the low interest rates, as a result of the stimulus, you know, are basically will 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 show that there will be no sustainability in economic growth, and that uh, at one stage, uh, you know, it will implode the
2: whole system. In my point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, um, you know, we're looking at uh, at a situation. You know, if you can't figure out when things are going to break. Well, how does one invest in this environment then, hey, Hein? Well, I,
3: I, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the contrarian uh, w- way in, 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 is basically that, you know, when you get a sell-off in the markets, people will go to the largest asset class there is, which are the treasuries. It's a ten billion yeah. market. So funds can very easily park their money there, and that's probably what you're going to see that um, uh, even if, you know, it would be the U.S. where we get a breakdown or whatever, it doesn't really matter. M- people want to park their money where they can easily get in and out. So the mm-hmm. dollar is likely to, to rise, yeah? yeah? And the treasuries are likely to also rise, so the, the yields are likely to go down. And um, all the other asset classes might sell off, mm-hmm. even gold and silver, although mm-hmm. the opposite should happen, yeah? Because mm-hmm. gold and silver are, in the end, the ultimate uh, currency, and, mm-hmm. and the currency is the benchmark of your wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, but they could go down because, you know, the funds will uh, need to pay for the redemptions, etc., uh, etc. Et and what you will see is that investors will take profits where they can as quickly as possible. Uh, but then when that phase is over and and that has taken place i think at that moment when you know gold gold could basically in my point of view in that scenario go down to ten to, to twelve hundred dollars and silver could go down to around twenty dollars or fifty to twenty dollars but that moment if that would happen that would be the buying opportunity of a lifetime mm-hmm. you would have to buy gold and silver uh, why because uh, you know, that's, that, that's the only currency then which has real or intrinsic value, as we say.
2: Well, do you watch anything, uh, Hein, that this sort of can give you a tip? Do you, do you look at some of the technical um, charts or anything that sort of try to, or some of the internals of the market to give you some sense of when we may be near a tipping point? You mentioned you think we're by, beyond the point of no return, where we're going to go down. There's nothing really that's going to save us. But at the same time, you know, my partner Chen Lin is bullish on, on an oil company in Nigeria. It looks really strong. Its earnings are very, very strong. I mean, there's a lot of bulls out there. There's a lot of people that believe the market are going to go higher. And, you know, it it does. It, it has been rising very, very significantly. So those of us who have been on the short side or out of the market have really gotten hurt badly uh, on the upside yeah. but should we be, in your view, now should people be taking some money off the table, putting building some cash for this event, or, or well,
3: you know, listen, we have gone up uh, sixteen, seventy percent in the Nasdaq, uh, I think, since the beginning of the year. I mean, Apple is up forty-five yeah. percent. Um you know, volumes are twenty percent lower. Uh, the of the Nasdaq stocks, the five largest contributors to uh, to the Nasdaq uh, increase. Are I think Apple, Microsoft, uh, Google, um, and and two other stocks.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They
3: account for about sixty five percent of the seventeen percent increase. Uh huh. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that the rise in the uh, in a lot of these indie chests is carried by a very small base.
2: Yeah.
3: are the danger of basically a flash crash because that is what happened in the flash crash. At that moment, there were very few shares which were keeping the market up, and suddenly that bottom fell out, and, uh, you know, we've seen what happened. I think in in, in 50 minutes, the the Dow fell by a 1,000 points or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But if that happens this time, I don't think it will be, uh, you know, so easy to repair that uh, technical damage uh, that you will get then. Yeah. Because I think people will, will get shit scared, uh, you know, for the reasons I mentioned. I mean, you know, they were also talking about all these news channels about the fact that, you know, money was leaving the bond market, um, but uh, apparently it hasn't gone into the equity market. And some people are saying, well, listen, the reason why the bond market uh, rally might be over is because the economy is improving. Yeah, but don't forget that on your overwhelming debt that we are increasing at record rates. Your basically, sorry about that. Um, that your um, um, uh, interest charges will go up dramatically, as as you discussed with Ian. Yeah. Yeah. And on the other hand, of course, also your P/E ratio for the equities goes up. Yeah. So yeah. in fact. You know, from that point of view, your your shares would also become more expensive, mm-hmm. and and so um, you know I I think we are basically at the moment between a rock and a hard place, mm-hmm. and 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 I don't know if it's going to happen next week or in three months' time, but I think we are getting very close, and you have to very carefully watch the events that are happening, either geopolitically or uh, you know financially. Yeah, and and I, as I said, I mean, we don't hear anything at the moment about Europe, but uh, you know that doesn't mean that the problem has gone away. I mean, Greece hasn't gone gone away. I don't think that ever Greece will get out of it. Yeah, you know, and well, the same the same applies for for Spain
2: and and, and Portugal. Sure. Well, Hein. Uh, last week, um, after reading, uh, you know, various people and listening to Arch Crawford on this show and, and reading Ian. MacAvity and speaking with you and reading uh, Robert Prector and a whole lot of other people, uh, you know, I sort of felt that it's it really in you know, just what you were saying that we're getting very close to a to a top here, mm-hmm. and that it would be good thing to take some money off the table because uh, if you can have some cash uh, when the market finally declines, then you're in, then you're in good shape. And I'm really not wanting to go through a Lehman Brothers again. The situation when we lost a ton of money during that time is very painful. And when you look at the fundamentals, they have not improved, as you're suggesting. Well, um, where do you see, though, one of the things that I've noticed that really took place after Lehman Brothers was that the fundamentals for the gold mining industry really, really improved. Mm -hmm. And I like to measure the real price of gold. I don't know if you follow that, Bob. That's a concept from Bob Hoy, of course. The notion that the price of gold relative to other commodities has improved after Mm -hmm. Lehman Brothers. Yeah, the nominal price of gold went down after Lehman Brothers, But to give you an idea, an ounce of gold would purchase only 17% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund in July of 2008. It went to 44% by March of 2009, Mm -hmm. and with that came enormous growth in the profits of the major gold mining companies. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that if we can build cash and then go in and buy up gold and silver, and the mining shares at you know at some point in time after the decline. Uh, you know, and I suggested to my subscribers that they sell seventy-five percent of their equity holdings and build cash. We're holding on to our bullion into a couple of short positions. But but, what do you think of that strategy now?
3: Uh, well, I think that um, you know, you, you just have to look at um, you know exactly. You know, look look uh, at how the uh, Dow Jones has performed measured in gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that basically tells you you know, what has been happening. Uh, and as we discussed earlier, you know, you see this continued um, transformation taking place from intangible assets to tangible assets, intangible assets to tangible assets, mm-hmm. and also in, in that respect from counterparty risk to no counterparty risk.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: If we talk about these shares, then I think um, you really have to look at uh, the cash flow producers.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
3: even you know, you might have all the gold in the ground, but if you're an exploration company mm-hmm. and you need to get it out of the ground and you need money for that and you're not cash flow producing, right. then you have a big problem because how are you gonna finance yourself if the banking system, you know, uh, goes broke. Right. You know, or doesn't have any credibility anymore. So Mm -hmm. it will be extremely difficult then, despite the fact that you might have five or ten million dollars in the kitty. Because you know, there's one thing: having it in the kitty in your bank account. But what happens if your bank goes belly up?
2: Yeah, well, that's another issue, of course. Yeah,
3: five to ten million. Then, sure. Uh, Very few people are looking at that. So, what I definitely would do, if um, you know, looking at um, uh, the mining shares is. When the risk increases, you want to go more towards, uh, you know, the cash flow
2: producers. Yeah. Well, indeed, that's been a strategy of, of my letter as well, and we have a number of them. Do you have any that you, that you like that you would like to, to mention?
3: Well, basically, you know, there's another thing which I would like to mention is that, yeah. uh, you know, if this scenario happens, which is not unlikely because, you know, because uh, you know, people don't want to believe it. Doesn't mean that it won't happen. Right? Yeah, that you could get a breakdown and a systemic risk uh, in, in the financial world. Um, what you will see is that they need to have a monetary system, and they can't base it, of course, on the back of you know the promises of the politicians, because you know that's the reason we, in the mass, we are in anyway. Yeah. So you need you need something tangible. You need some you know intrinsic value in order to back up your new currency or a new monetary system, which would be gold in my point of view. So we could go to a situation that gold could be confiscated for the greater good, yeah? And then you have to ask, okay, uh, which uh, precious metal am I going to hold then, you know, which is a proxy to gold and uh, will not likely be confiscated? And I think that's silver. So I, I in in general like uh, you know the silver companies for that uh, reason, and I also believe that if the silver price breaks the fifty dollar, you will see a hundred, two hundred, three hundred
2: dollars uh, very very quickly. Oh, interesting. So, but you know, Hein, during the nineteen thirties, gold was confiscated, but the gold mining companies remained in business, and people did extremely well yep. with those companies. Is that something else? Another reason why people should be owning the producers?
3: Yeah, I think so, too. You know, if you look at homestead mining at that time, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, those gold mining companies did extremely well, yeah? Uh, yeah. Because that, that uh, again, we, we go back to intrinsic value. And, uh, you know, we have to, we need to sort of redefine, you know, the uh, the, the the system again. And um, so I, I would definitely, but, you know, you, you just have to spread. You have to make sure that you have, you know, mining companies that have operations in different countries. You know, right. not only in the U.S. but uh, also South America, Mexico, Canada. You name it.
2: Sure, I think diversify that's also, politically so and diversify sorry. among com- countries, uh, com- companies, I should say. And uh, well, I think that's good advice because I I could easily see that happening. Hein, that we would see another confiscation of gold and silver for, uh, as you say, quote unquote, the better good we're mm-hmm. all good, I mean uh, politicians are always you know with the point of a gun they're taking they're taking wealth from private citizens all the time through the tax code or whatever so and it's been precedented, of course, it's happened in the u s This is a topic I want to talk more about in the future uh for our listeners, but i uh, we're just about out of time. Hein, how can people keep track of what you're uh, of what you're up to? You do have a blog, don't you
3: I do have a blog uh, and it's uh hoonerereport.com, which is spelled G-R-O-E-N-E-W-E-G-E-N-Report.com. And, you know, it depends on what's happening in the markets uh, when I write a piece about certain issues. Um, But the other thing is what I would like to mention is that what Mm -hmm. we see at the moment, in my point of view, is we're not going anywhere at the moment. I mean, we had such a rise in the markets, uh, especially since October last year, that you have to wonder, you know, when is enough enough? Yeah. yeah, and when are people going to take profits and say, "Well, listen, you know, I take some, as you said, some chips off the, uh, you know, of the table, and uh, wait and see what's going to happen," especially in in the light of you know the higher interest rates that we are seeing now, and the increased geopolitical problems, because there was also a rumor out that the Russians had arrived in Syria, some advisors and so on. Uh-huh. And you see, that situation is also not. Um, you know um, you know st- stable no so, not at all you know those are also things people have to look at and well, it
2: certainly pay. makes some sense, and I would uh, we're, we're going to have to go to a break, and we're going to have to get our next guest on but i mm-hmm. but I hear what you're saying, and that's very, very interesting because certainly the Russians, the Chinese, the um, Indians are not going to stand by and let us tell them that they can't uh, trade gold for oil in Iran. Uh, and and some of the, the Syrian is, uh, issue is also very, very interesting, I think. Yeah, we do live in troubled times, no doubt about it. And what we try to do on this show is to help people uh, protect themselves and their wealth uh, as much as possible. I want to thank you very much, Hein, for coming on the show again. You all Welcome. are always an excellent guest. Uh hope to have you back again sometime very soon. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Gregory Beischer. He is the president and CEO of Millrock Resources a company, I think, is worth looking at. They don't have cash flow now, but they uh, are employing the uh, project generator model, which I think is probably the best model among the non-producing companies. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Beischer.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process, with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011, American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American. Bonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com.
4: w
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Mill Rock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Mill Rock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me, once again, Gregory Beischer. He is the president and CEO of a project generator company called Millrock Resources. And as we noted earlier today's show, I do favor the project generators because they are companies that uh, really are using other people's money, essentially, other companies' money to put the high-risk uh, exploration programs in place to drill those holes that cost an awful lot of money. And I have said many times that the biggest risk that investors face in the junior exploration space, and it is a it is a high-risk, high-return game to be sure to begin with, but the biggest risk that most people have is, uh, most investors have, is that of dilution, shareholder dilution, because these are companies that do not have cash flow, so they have to go back continuously to the market to raise more capital, to drill more holes, to try to prove up the next deposit and the beauty of the project generator model is that they as i say uh they'll give up some interest in a project but they have other companies coming in and funding that high risk uh expensive uh program those uh, programs and so uh gregory baisher's company here millrock resources is a project generator company so i'm really pleased to have you with me again gregory
5: Jerry, thanks for inviting me back on your show.
2: So it's really good to have you. I should mention that, uh, that your company is a sponsor to this show. Uh, and I want to just, uh, let people know that you're trading under the symbol MRO and you can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol MLR, MLRKF. There's 70.6 million shares outstanding and I've got a, a recent price of around 27 Sense giving it a market cap of around nineteen million dollars. Does all that sound pretty much in the ballpark, Gregory? Yep, that's all accurate. Okay. Well, all right. You have a project. You have a number of projects, and this is another thing I might just mention about project generators: is they have portfolio. They have a portfolio of projects, so you're not just betting on one project coming through. You're looking at a, a host of projects that have a potential, some potential to be, uh, you know, to come up big and, and uh, host a major deposit. And also, uh, I would also men- mention that uh, the project generators that I follow are headed up by astute geologists, and they're, so they 're not just picking any old project up for the sake of project they 're not throwing darts at projects they're going out using a lot of previous uh, geological intelligence and their own understanding of geology to select great projects. So that is what we have in mill Rock and uh, Gregory, you are involved in Alaska and Arizona. Can you tell our listeners, just give us a quick uh, review of the properties in Alaska and then uh Arizona. The, your gold properties are in Alaska. Let's start there. Uh you have one in in particular that is looking really interesting now. That's called the Estelle project. Could you talk to us about that?
5: Yeah, that's correct. That's a <clears throat> excuse me now, a joint venture with uh Tech. Um we've uh um, last year announced some results that were quite strong. We didn't get a lot of credit in the market for it uh, at the time. But, uh, you know, the results were um, low-grade, just under half a gram, but the drilling intersection was uh, almost 400 meters long. So, yeah. we, you know, we, we know we've tied into an intrusion-related deposit there. Uh, it's a matter of finding the higher-grade portion, and we'll run a fair-sized drill program uh, along with tech uh, this summer uh, to do exactly that, to try and find a higher-grade portion of the gold system that we've discovered. And it'll be you... one of uh, six drilling programs that will, r- will run on projects uh, both in Alaska and Arizona uh, in 2012. You know, I think you you gave a good overview of our, our company, but the, the reality is we uh, we always have uh, several projects, and we almost always have a drill turning on one or the other uh, upon which a discovery might be made, and uh, we do it by making agreements with major mining companies. We have partners of Tuck and Valet and Kinross and, and Inmet, so these are good companies that are supporting the work we do and financing most of it. In fact, our budget this year, total exploration budget, will probably be in excess of $10 million, but our share will be less than $1 million. So it really shows the leverage and uh, really gives our shareholders exposure to lots of opportunity uh, for major share price increases uh, upon a discovery
2: sure let's uh okay so you've got like 10 to 1 leverage in in terms of the money that's being spent what sort of interest uh, are you retaining in these properties what what sort of what's a typical structure
5: yeah. Very typically, uh, the agreements we form are options to joint ventures. So the incoming company, uh, for example, Tech, uh, spends uh, exploration funds over a period of a couple of years. Uh, they make payments, and if they do all of those, then they earn a majority interest in the project. The, the joint venture we've just formed with Tech uh, has them at 55% ownership. Millrock at 45. And so it will proceed uh, from here on, on a joint venture basis. And it depends what we can negotiate. Uh, some of them we have to give up 75% uh, uh, interest, interest to the partner. Others we're able to keep more.
2: Is uh, On the Estella project that you're involved with tech, uh, they can earn 55%. What do they have to spend to earn that? Um, $3.6 million total. And do they do they have an option to go higher than that? Let's say they find something that, that let's say that that you start to look at something that's really big there, which which seems to be a possibility. Now, what do they have a possibility of? of getting bigger, of owning a bigger percentage, or are you going to have to put in your 45% share at some yeah,
5: point? No, eventually we're going to have to put in our, our 45% share. and it, You know, it depends. Uh, some of the, our agreements are different. Sometimes we're able to negotiate so that Millrock is carried forward until a feasibility study is completed, or at least until a minimum size resource is completed. But each one of our deals is different, and it just depends what we've been able to negotiate with our
2: major company partner. Okay, so with tech there, you would retain a pretty darn good position at 45%. But this is a really large, potentially a very large project. Have you, do you have some sense of the, of the target size here? Have you done some geophysics or some, some kind of Surface geology that gives you some sense of, of how big this thing could be?
5: Yeah, certainly the the structure and the geochemical anomaly uh, that we're exploring is uh, around roughly two kilometers in diameter. So wow. we, we know that it could be a, a very large deposit if it's there, if the grade is there. Of course, that's why Tech's our partner in this. They, they really like what they see. Alaska is known for uh, discovery of some very large gold deposits. Uh, for example, Donlin Creek, which uh, is a Barrack Nova Gold uh, joint venture. And, uh, you know, it's 40 million ounces of gold. And that's the sort of size that, that we're looking for and the sort of size that we're designing our exploration uh, work for.
2: Um, so you're going to have to come up with a fair amount of money, though, I would guess, on this, uh, on this project. What is your budget next year on the Estella? Right, we'll
5: we'll uh, spend roughly 2 million dollars this year uh, on drilling following up on those good results that we had uh, last summer.
2: Uh-huh. And what do you have in the bank now to fund that?
5: Right. We we have uh just over 3 million dollars in the bank at this point and, uh-huh. and uh you know, as I mentioned uh, offline earlier, you know, we do uh, generate revenues uh, from management fees since we operate all these exploration projects, and we do get cash payments from our mm-hmm. partners uh, for it, so we, we're not cash flow positive at this point, but we can uh, offset a great deal of our overhead costs and our generative exploration costs so that we're not constantly having to go back to the market to to raise
2: money uh, for our exploration work. Yeah, that that's very, very important. And, of course, if if somewhere along the line here the market starts to, to see something big emerging, you would expect that 27 cent share price to be a great deal higher. At least we would hope so. You know, Gregory, I'm hoping so because I own some shares. So, um, okay, so that's gold. And my engineers are telling me we've only got a couple of minutes left. I'm going to try to squeeze a couple of extra minutes out of them. But, uh, you have, you're, you've got some copper targets in Arizona. And by the way, I just want to highlight the fact that the companies that you named, you know, Tech Ballet, Ken, Ken Ross, Inmet, these are giant companies, and they're not—they're not getting involved with you because they think that you're going to be looking for a million-dollar, a million-ounce gold deposit or a small copper deposit. These guys are looking for something big, right? What's what's happening in Arizona? Can you—is there something you'd like to highlight? Right. You know, we've just completed a, a
5: couple of drilling programs, and uh, listeners can expect to uh, hear about those results uh, sometime in the near future. And I think that we're going to have very strong programs uh, going forward uh, later in the year. And um, actually, in Arizona uh, at the moment, we've just uh, uh, reviewed uh, project results with our partner, InMet, and uh, we hope to get confirmation soon of an uh, expanded program uh, for, for later in the spring and, and
2: next fall. Will you be, uh is there going to be some news flow uh that investors can look forward to in the near future?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much steady news flow uh, from here on out for the rest of the year. Uh, things have been rather quiet lately as we were drilling away, but uh we've got those results, and we'll be drilling in Alaska by mid-April. Um, We've got some uh, uh, news coming about uh, additional uh, joint venture agreements uh, with with, uh, other mining companies. So uh, pretty steady uh, news coming from us uh, over the next eight months.
2: Well, no, we're going to be looking forward to it, that's for sure. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know about before we conclude our discussion today? Yeah,
5: just uh, sticking to our, our business model. These are pretty tough times, Jay, for uh, junior companies. But I know. Uh, we're sticking to our model. We're applying it very, very rigorously. And we know that if we just keep drilling holes, uh, using other companies' money, uh, eventually, we're going to hit the big one, and uh, our shareholders are going to greatly benefit from it, and especially those that buy stock
2: at, at this price—twenty-seven uh, cents for sure—a very minuscule market cap, as we noted. Uh, so, really, these are the kinds of companies, folks, that can do extremely well. We're not guaranteeing anything, but when you buy a project generator, you're buying a portfolio of projects. This is a pro- this is a company that has a very strong management, technically strong management team that's using uh really strong partners uh, to look for, for elephant-sized deposits. So, Gregory, it's been a pleasure having you on again. Thank you so much. Your website, people can follow that, follow what you're doing. What is the website? Yep, it's
5: www.millrockresources.com.
2: Very good. Thank you very much, Gregory, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts on today's show.
0: American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable mid-tier gold producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com.
4: www.rypatchgold.com
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.MillRockResources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I uh, I really enjoyed today's discussion with uh, Ian McAvity and, and Hein Gunnweg. Uh, I think both of these gentlemen, um, I believe, at least I agree with them largely about where we're heading. Uh, certainly, there's always room for a difference of opinion, and uh, I guess, you know, like always, you're more comfortable with people who agree with you. It may be dangerous to only have people that agree with you on the show. Uh, but our very basic values of this show are Austrian free market uh, views. Uh, I believe that the Austrian economic theory has panned out better than anything else over the last number of years. Certainly, I was uh, on the long side of the gold market when it started up back in 2002 because of that view because of the view that free markets work better, because of the view that ultimately free markets will win. And we are seeing increasing defiance against the markets by our policymakers. Uh, There is uh, an ignorance on the part of uh, the American people with respect to uh, what is in their best interest. And, you know, uh, if they tell us uh, kids like to believe in the tooth fairy, we would all like to believe that we can have what we want when we want it without working for it uh but that's a lie i think it's pretty obvious that's a lie if if you step back and think about it some people can benefit uh at the expense of others and clearly that's what's been happening since uh since nixon especially took us off the gold market uh since he took the dollar off the gold uh backing in 1971 we've seen an increase in the amount of debt that has really taken place and that debt debt money has allowed the people that control the system to reallocate wealth from the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers—people that really do things for other people and create value—are not gaining their fair value, and it's been going to the politicians, who have been gaining, uh, and, the, and the government, which has been gaining a bigger share of GDP, and to the bankers. And these guys have formed an unholy alliance. Much of what we talk about on this show has to do with the power elite. The people that are uh, that are really the powers behind the throne, and the reason we focus on that is not because we're conspiracy nuts or because we want to uh, focus on that. I would much rather be able to say, let's go out and make money do- investing in things that are good for people um, than gold mining, for example. <clears throat> but in fact, gold uh, is in demand now because the markets are demanding honest money. Um, Bob Hoy has pointed out how these major credit deflationary periods uh, cause the real price of gold to rise, which in turn then causes the markets to demand uh, gold and gold mining profits start to surge and we 're seeing that happening. The main thing that I think we need to watch now though is this potential for a major market decline, and that 's why I told my subscribers last week to sell seventy five percent up to seventy five percent of their equity holdings we're holding on to our gold and silver we're holding on to a short position against the financials uh but we do want to uh, be ready and have cash ready uh for to buy the gold shares when the market gets hit hard because it isn't the valuable stocks stocks with, that have value can get hit very hard along with everything else uh and this is uh, you know it's it's not that you sell what you want to sell but sell, you have to you sell what you're able to sell to pay the margin clerks, and when this happens, the real price of gold has uh, has risen. Uh, in in past episodes, as as uh, Bob Hoy has talked about, uh, this is the sixth major credit deflation in the last 300 years. And when this happens, uh, we we see uh, a transformation into real money. Uh, the markets ultimately are more powerful than politicians, and they will win. Now, what the politicians and the policymakers put us through in the meantime. Uh, is certainly, uh, another issue. And I think that, uh, Hein, view that we, uh, that you should own shares, I think he, gold shares and silver shares, I think is, is very good advice, uh, because it is possible that we will have gold and silver taken from us again. I mean, it happened in the 30s, and I could easily see if the world demands a return to some sort of gold-backed monetary system, and if very few people own the gold, that it could be confiscated. It could be reallocated back into some general, uh, treasury. That to me is very, very logical and very possible. I'm not saying not to own gold bullion. I think that's will you want to sort of build your, uh, your portfolio around gold bullion and silver bullion, uh, and then, and then the shares as well. And I'm not saying don't own some, uh, oil shares. Chen Lin's, uh, Mart Resources is certainly worth, uh, owning some. I've owned some. Uh, I must admit that I sold some of my, Mark shares recently, just because I wanted to build some cash, uh, Chen Lin finds good things to invest in uh, continuously. He's focused now on the egg market, believe it or not. Big profits to be made in the egg market because uh, the Europeans want to have happy chickens, so so to speak. Uh, sort of a silly idea, but nonetheless an environmental or a, an animal rights issue, I guess, that is leading to profit opportunities. So uh, there's – oh, another thing I should mention, we've only got a minute or so before we close here. Chan has noticed that um, Oceana Gold has done extremely well in the last few days despite a weak gold market, and his major concern here is that we could be seeing uh, some sort of a, a takeover attempt. It would make sense because Oceana Gold is selling at such ridiculously low levels. I would mention uh, that uh, in terms of the gold shares, I agree with uh, Hein again that owning the shares of the producers, the cash flow positive companies, and I'm thinking in terms now of uh, Sandstorm Gold, uh, I'm thinking of, um, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Sand Gold, certainly uh, other companies in our A1 list of, of companies producers that are doing extremely well are the ones that you should be owning right now uh, because they will have the cash flow to sustain themselves through difficult markets. Secondly, I would want to own the project generators, like Millrock, uh, like Eurasian Minerals, like uh, Riverside Resources. These are companies that burn through very little cash. They have sustainability, and they have a portfolio of shares that can do uh, that. Uh, uh, and they don't have to go out and issue uh, new shares continuously to stay alive. So uh, th- those are some of the closing thoughts. I should mention that next week. We're going to be talking to James Otto. He's going to be—he's an author and an attorney who is very concerned about the uh, exportation of quality jobs out of America into foreign lands. Uh, and we're going to have Dr. John Coleman coming back with us again uh, next week uh, to talk about some of uh, some of the issues that we've been talking about and about the loss of liberty in America. Liberty is ultimately what it's about. If we're free people then are free to be creative and to do what their God-given skills and talents have allowed them or, or enable them to do. If we go by the way of fascism, which is the way we're heading, then our independence and our individuality is stripped from us, and we are then um, obliged to become servants of the state. And this is my main concern, the reason that we have the kind of people on this show that we have. It's, it's to try to counter that movement to the extent we can, but most importantly to understand what's going on so that we can, um, so that we invest in the right direction. If you know, uh, if you can understand why the policies are made the way they are and who is in control, then you have a better idea of predicting what's going to come in the future. So that's that's what we're trying to do on this show. Uh, I, it is time to close now. I want to thank each of you for listening. Thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable, and thanks to our uh, to my producer, Tacey Trump, um, for making this show logistically viable, and most of all, in that regard, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show possible from a logistical point of view. So until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.